We're setting off with Han and Leia as they brave a new galaxy as husband and wife. Today, we're discussing Beth Revis's new novel, The Princess and the Scoundrel. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are diving into the brand new New York Times bestselling novel, The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. I have been looking forward to this novel for so long. (laughs) When it landed in my inbox, I was like, this is the best day ever. Only two days ago at the time of recording, did I think it was Variety released like the concept art of Leia's oh, wedding, dress. wedding dress and honestly like everything around this novel is really up both our alleys like mm. we love we love romance we love Han and Leia I've I loved Rebel Rising by Beth Revis so I was all in on this we've been on the Halcyon so like <laughs> it's it's a lot of checks you know what I mean mm-hmm. so uh really excited to talk about this I'm not going to give too much away in this intersection but I'm glad to be back talking about a single book in a single episode because we've been going through our Blessed Rebel Queen on the podcast. And I was thinking about when the last time we talked about a single Star Wars book and it was The Fallen Star. And that was way early in the year. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long time. And the truth is, is Star Wars has released really, really good. Yeah. But really good Star Wars books recently. Really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think Caitlin and I's backlist is a lot, and I felt like I really wanted to start with this one when we when we got into it, just because we've, again, been looking forward to this for a really long time. So pumped to be talking about it and be, to be back in the book talking space. Yeah, I'm really excited too. You know, I um, just finished watching the original trilogy with my three oldest nieces for the first time. So like last weekend, I finished watching Return of the Jedi with them. Hallmark experience. Loved every minute of it. I think they're going to be Star Wars fans, just so you all know. I'm really they loved every minute of it too, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The no, they cool really thing. liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was like... Some of, it was interesting, like the periods when they were more interested, like they would kind of swap movie to movie who was like 100% in, who fell asleep halfway through, honestly, because we always had to watch it like after their younger siblings went to bed. But it was like a good time was had by all. And I, my niece, Tenley, she was watching. We were the only ones awake, like in the middle part of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and she was like so into it. <laughs> It was so fun. And she was like picking up on story cues. And I don't know. It was just, it was so great. And seeing their like commentary on Vader and Luke in particular was like the best thing ever in like a, wow, (laughs) kids really get it. (laughs) Oh, George made it for them. So it's so cool. It was so great. And yeah, they were like talking about how Vader looked sad at certain parts and like how, you know, there's no way he could let that happen to his son. Like he still loves his son. Of course, Luke still loves him. And it was like this whole thing. It was warmed my Star Wars heart in like a really big way. So of course, like reading this book, was like the literally the perfect follow up. And did you were were you reading this book when you watched Return of the Jedi or like did yeah. you just pick it up after you watched it? No, I was I, in, I was still like I was at the very end of like the Endor section um, when we finished Return of the Jedi. So it was really great, honestly. Yeah, I think that these these 
books, the book and Return of the Jedi go together obviously really well because it's directly after Return of the Jedi. But yeah. I haven't watched Return of the Jedi since finishing this book. And I just wonder if it's going to change my perception of Han and Leia's relationship in that movie just now that I've sat with the book and everything. And I think it will. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> so. I think yeah, I think so too. I think because I like already finished like the Endor part more or less once mm-hmm. I watch Return of the Jedi a little different but yeah no I think I think it's such a good follow-up I couldn't find a way to articulate this in our notes but I think that the book overall does a really good job of weaving itself between a lot of established pieces of canon that I think was probably really tricky on Beth's part to do so mm-hmm. I think th- I think the book did a really good job of that yeah not to like get ahead or anything but it's super fun to be back talking about a book it has been a while it's been a while since we've done Wait, a, a whoa, non- whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. We have to keep on the fact that you introduced your nieces to Star Wars just for a second. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, how long I you think, got? Yeah, I just think that now you've done it's it's interesting, okay? Longtime listeners know Caitlin and I love to debate orders in which we watch Star Wars. So yeah. I think when it all came down to it, Caitlin, you showed them a, a, the original trilogy first, the classic yeah. trilogy. I did. The classic trilogy. Yeah. And then it's I, like, okay, what are you doing next? <laughs> I know. This was such a hard I I they so like in a new hope, they loved Leia, like a fully obsessed with her. And they also they mm-hmm. loved her, were obsessed with her throughout all of it. Like they were really excited whenever she was on stage and stuff. And I was honestly a little worried on stage, on the screen. Um I was worried I was like, about right. um <laughs> the galactic stage. <laughs> the galactic- <laughs> I was worried about once we got further in, uh, you know, to Empire and Return of the Jedi, you know, it very much becomes Luke's story and stuff like that. So I was a little worried, actually, um, if they would be like missing Leia all too much. Um, And they were like, don't get me wrong. They were always excited when she came back on screen, but they really got in to Luke. And like the beginning of Return of the Jedi, they were like all in on What's going on? How are we rescuing Han? Oh, oh, I think that's Lando and Chewie's here. Like, why is Chewie here? And they um, kept talking about, they were like, well, when is Luke going to get here? Like, Luke's got to get here. (laughs) They were like, when is he showing up? And he finally did. (laughs) It was like a good reveal and everything like that. But yeah, it was, they were very into it. They actually, um, my sister sent me pictures. They um, got some allowance money and they all decided to buy lightsabers with their allowance money, like the little cheap plastic lightsabers. And they, they didn't look that cheap to me. I step up from the. Cheap I know ones. they had. My sister told me they had six dollars, uh, like saved up. So I don't uh-huh. know. I don't know how much they were, um, but I know that they had a, at least a six dollar budget <laughs> among the three of them. Three each, six dollars each. Anyway, so they had a really good time. It was so funny. My youngest niece, Blakely, she's six, and she. Um, we were watching Return of the Jedi, and I've been trying to like. They were very much every time like a new character would come on, they would be like, uh, good guy, bad guy, right? Like we were, that's kind of how they were adjusting to like the world and everything like that. And, you know, Return of the Jedi opens, we've got like Vader and all of that. And I'm like, all right, let's listen to the music. Like, does the music sound good or bad? Like, do we think these ships are good or bad? Like, how's the music sound? And the two older ones were like, sounds bad. And Blakely was like, I don't have to listen to the music because I know that the bigger ships are usually the bad ships and the smaller ones are usually the good guys. And it's kind of right. Like, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? We can revisit John Williams later. It's fine. But like, also, I like you're picking up on visual storytelling. 
we can go for mm-hmm. that. Um, <laughs> the, the dual nature. It's <laughs> hitting all your senses. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it was funny because like for a good, like I'd say like the middle section, Riley and Blakely were asleep. So it was just Tenley and I. And I kept asking her, I was like, do you want to like, we can go to bed. We can save the rest for tomorrow. And she was like, no, I can stay up late. They can be asleep if they want to. But Riley finally wakes up, uh, you know, kind of as things get rolling at the end of Return of the Jedi. And um, she was like, they were very into like Vader and Luke and Palpatine and everything. But when it came time to like take off Vader's helmet, she was like, I don't, don't do that. There's probably just a big brain. (laughs) And that was funny. Um, And they were like a little taken aback uh, by Vader, which is of course the point. But I will say, Mm -hmm. I will say we got to the very end and they saw Hayden and they were like, wait, who's that? (laughs) Which I thought was pretty funny. And like, I hadn't thought about that reaction because we did start with the original trilogy but we we talked about who that was and everything like that so they got it anyway not to like spend an eternity on like gushing about my nieces watching star wars for the first time but i think we're gonna go prequels first i have to convince their dad to let me get through revenge of the sith with them but i think that's what we're gonna do I just think that's a bold choice. I don't. I want to know if our listeners have any thoughts yeah. about that, given the fact that Caitlin and I are so pro machete order, pro matrioska order. Like we, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's funny that you like when it comes down to it, your first, you know, intro into Star Wars. Maybe it always is going to be like if you're showing them the complete piece of the Skywalker saga. Like maybe you do start with the original trilogy. That's where I started. Yeah. Sort of. I don't know. Like, I, my my story is kind of confusing. I don't really know where I draw that line, to be honest. But. I it's interesting because I don't know if I with them specifically. I don't know if I would have ever started with the sequel trilogy, honestly, because I think like Force Awakens really and like you and I talked about this because it was like, oh, they're gonna love Ray, yada yada, which very good argument, very good reasoning to start with sequel trilogy. But I think like them knowing Luke and Leia and like Vader and stuff like that they're very familiar with those characters already well yeah well you gave them a book right like you they're aware of that like that that is part of their like cultural lexicon is that you got them dolls from Galaxy's Edge one of them included Leia they really liked Leia you got them a book about Leia they liked that concept so of course you're going to start with that character yeah but it's just interesting I don't know I don't know. The thing the thing about not going to the sequel trilogy after this is that one I think they'll like little Anakin. So I kind of want to do that, but I also I don't want to end the entire marathon process on Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> and that's kind yeah. of like my sticking point right now. I want I want it to be like on like this pseudo happy ending with the rise of skywalker you know like i think that uh, one i'm interested to see what their reaction is to the rise of skywalker and like that whole storyline but <laughs> you better narrate the whole thing because i just can't believe the sentence that just came out of your mouth. I, I, yeah no <laughs> i know i know like i don't know I how do, they'll I react do know what you mean and i like when it comes down to it i do agree <laughs> so, yeah i don't yes. wanna, like go through all that and then come back and like literally end on mustafar <laughs> i know i know and it's i so yeah i think it was i think it was good to start with uh the original trilogy with them. I think it was a good introduction, obviously. Um, and they had a good time. I had a good time with them having a good time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was really excited that we finally uh, finally got to do it, honestly. I've been waiting. Yeah. Literally, they just the oldest girls just turned eight. So I've been waiting 
eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. And I am excited to for the rest of your journey. You'll have to update all of our listeners on that because I'm sure everyone will want to know now. Yes, I'm sure they're like, already they're like all right this is enough about your yeah yeah let's okay let's, let's talk on. about Hanalea. let's move on <laughs> okay so to move on from my own personal family saga um thank you for bearing with us through that um we were talking earlier when we started the show about like our backlog and the book discussions and everything we want to read and stuff like that but i'm sure some of you might be wondering um why there hasn't been a sky talkers summer series this year and well, we wanted to say sorry because there is not a Sky Talkers Summers series this year, um, which is a bit of a bummer. It is a big bummer, honestly. Charlotte and I talked a lot about it this year, but we have been working on a lot of other things um, throughout the month of July predominantly, which is when our summer series usually comes out is July and August. But we ended up having a lot of things going on prepping for a lot of things coming up in the future that unfortunately it just didn't, the timing just didn't work out. But some of that we'll be sharing with you guys very, very soon. So we are super excited about that. Um, And we do have plans for like some two-part episodes by the end of the year. So, you know, of course, continuing like our essays on Carrie series. And then we really want to try and do um, at least like a mini series on the concept of Star Wars' tragedy, which is something we kind of broached more in depth for the first time during Kenobi. Um, and that was really well received and we had a really good time talking about it. So we're going to try and do that by the end of the year. So we have a lot of exciting things coming up. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out in the schedule this year to do a summer series. So we are very sorry about that. But we hope you're super excited for some of the other things that are coming in the future that unfortunately, I still have to be a little vague about. But it is exciting. And I hope it's worth the wait for you guys. Yeah. Andor is just around the corner. Caitlin and I are covering that on our show. So get excited for that. We had a great time a couple weeks ago talking with the cast at a roundtable discussion. If you haven't listened to that, please do. It was like a highlight of our lives (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. And in the next week, actually, Caitlin is turning 30. She's turning 30. Oh, boy. It's very exciting. I know. And we are going to Walt Disney World. I wanted to mention that you may remember a couple months ago, we talked about being a travel partner with our friend Kelly, who is a travel agent for Disney. And she's a travel agent at a company called Magical Park Vacations that for free will help you book your Walt Disney World vacation. So we actually used Kelly, who is awesome, amazing, a listener of the show, just amazing person. And she helped us book a trip for Caitlin's 30th. We're so excited about it. And we're really excited to use Kelly's services. She got us our Ogus reservation. She got our hotel reservation. It was so nice, honestly, not to set alerts on my phone and deal with that. (laughs) Honestly, as someone who goes to Disney parks a lot, I was just astounded by it. And I told my mom about it. My mom's like, well, we got to use Kelly next time. We're going to use Kelly forever, basically. So I wanted to share that with everyone. And you can find a link to her services on our website. And I'll put it in the show notes, too, if you're interested. It's completely free if you're planning on going to any of the Disney parks. Yeah, it was it was really great, honestly. Super easy. Uh, we emailed her that we wanted to, like, use her services. And she asked us, like, dates, budget, you know, any specific things we wanted to do as far as, like, hotels or restaurants or anything like that. And I sent them. And she, like, sent me back this list basically and like all of my options and 
yeah, she did. She booked it all, our tickets, our hotel, our restaurant reservations. She kept tabs on certain restaurants for us that weren't available right away and got all of the reservations we wanted. So it was uh, a yeah, plus experience. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Definitely. If you're thinking about a trip to Disney, like even, you know, we go to Disney quite a bit and Charlotte especially. So we took advantage of it and it was like a really great experience. Took a lot of the stress out, even as people who know what to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you think of like That's a, interesting. yeah, you think of like a service like that as for people who have never been to Disney before or unsure about certain things, which of course it is. And it's like Kelly would be a great resource for people who are new to Disney World. But even, you know, even if you're super familiar and been more times than you should, um, it was a great uh, experience just, just to kind of be a little bit more hands off or rather have like the stress of it off your hands. So anyway, we're super excited. Thank you so much, Kelly. And yeah, like Charlotte said, we'll have the information uh, on our website and in the show notes. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about the book because I'm really pumped. <laughs> okay. So in part one, we're going to give our initial thoughts about the book. And in part two, we're going to go through deeper themes. And in part three, we're going to give each other quotes to blind react to. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. So welcome to part one, our initial thoughts about the book. So Caitlin, what did you think? What did we think? What did we, how do we feel about the Princess and the Scoundrel. I thought it was really fun. I like really enjoy The Princess and the Scoundrel. I thought it touched on a lot of aspects of Han and Leia as individuals and as a couple that I thought were really well done. Like those were my favorite parts were the characterization of both of those characters. Like way more than the actual plot, I guess I should say. I like the plot. I thought it was interesting. Like don't get me wrong. Um, but I thought that the book really excelled and like it's dialogue and like honestly the one-on-one conversations that Han and Leia had together and like even their kind of internal monologues that they had separately I thought were so well done. I thought it was like I said some of the best characterization of Han and Leia like really reminded me like Han really reminded me of Last Shot and that is one of my like all-time favorite Star Wars books because I think Han is written so well in that book and I think that this is easily like a close second uh, to last shot uh, for Han for me. Um, so yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. So did I. I actually think this characterization of Han is better than in last shot, if I mm. could say that. Personally, I just felt really connected to him in this book. And maybe it's just been a while since last shot. And I know how much we loved that book. And I love talking about that on this podcast. I really do and did. But I felt like Han really sh- like shined in this book and Beth just did a really good job making me think about Han and where he is as a character after Return of the Jedi in ways that I had never really thought about before. Mm -hmm. I need more Han and Leia content and I mean this in the best way, okay? This is a major compliment. To me, this was fanfic brought to canon for me with like a really compelling story with great romance with really interesting character like conversations there were such good conversations I felt like between Han and Leia the wedding was great there were so many things I loved about this book I really enjoyed reading it and honestly because there's been so many amazing Star Wars books that have come out this book felt like a breeze for me to read and it was just really enjoyable I really loved it 
yeah, I I don't think that this is like up there for me in terms of my favorite Star Wars books, like with Claudia Gray's books or anything like that, but it doesn't need to be. And in fact, I think it was a really fun small story with Han and Leia. And I felt like it gave me glimpses into more of Leia's characterizations that have come a long way since, like, honestly, since the Disney era began. We've gotten a lot of Leia content through books. And each time, I'm just so surprised about how much I think her character, I don't know, I think I, I find her character so interesting in a in my adulthood in a way that I didn't as when I was younger and a teenager and into Star Wars. And I don't know if it's because I can relate to like more of things that she's going through or anything like that, or if they're doing like a really good job fleshing out her character or both. It's probably both. I'm just, um, I'm a little in awe over like how many great Leia stories we have at this point. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that I mentioned this earlier, but I think that this book did a really good job of kind of weaving itself between different pieces of canon that we now have, right? Like Return of the Jedi, but then also like really relying heavily on like Bloodline and Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Like I feel like who Leia, as how Leia is written in this book, like directly ties to those two books like I can track her characterization from here into bloodline I think really well and like I said I'm sure that is challenging to kind of like she's put in the middle basically this story right we go from Leia Princess of Alderaan then this story and then bloodline like if we're looking at a timeline and so I think that she did a great job of the characterization I feel like Leia was like really I feel like Leia and Han like their personalities were really synthesized, um, summarized in this book. I don't really know how to describe it. Like I felt like I had a really clear picture of both of them in this book. And maybe that is because like I have all of these other pieces of their characterizations now uh, to bring into this book. So yeah, it did feel like a breeze to kind of read through in the way that it was like compelling and I never had to stop and think like do I see Leia and Han saying this it all felt very much like who they were um for me I before we get too far into the into the discussion I did just want to say I really love the title of the book The Princess and the Scoundrel you know it feels very pulp romance like even with the cover and everything and I love that and I'm really glad they went that direction and not something not like a Harlequin romance almost. So I'm really glad they did that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think when you were speaking about Han and Leia, like you never stopped and thought about whether or not this would be something that they would say. I think when I think about this book and how it kind of switched between Leia's perspective and Han's perspective, even though it was in the third person, it made me really understand, understood like why they were saying the things they would. I'm speaking sort of broadly, but I liked the switching between the two characters and I think it made me feel a lot closer to each of them. Yeah, that was going to be, I think, one of our first questions is, was it effective to have this back and forth between Han and Leia throughout the book? I think it Honestly, I think it was um, maybe more so in other parts than like may- maybe more so in some parts than others. But yeah, I think overall I I enjoyed it because really I'm not reading this book for Leia. I'm not reading this book for Han. I'm reading this book for both of them mm-hmm. and them as a couple. So seeing them sort of inside their head talking about how much they love each other and like the push and pull and also the drawbacks, the anxiety, all this, all these things about work and the empire. I don't know. I Each of them have different perspectives and I think it was really valuable to get those. One thing I think was really interesting is that 
this book made me realize it's not that I didn't realize this before, but I think it just did a really good job of pointing this out that Han was in Carbonite for like a year, right? And he missed a lot. And him from Return of the Jedi to them getting married was so fast. And he's still catching up. And he has a lot to catch up on. And it made me feel a lot of sympathy for him and just think about what that would be like. Obviously, I don't have any experience with that, but I think that it's it was just quite interesting to me to have this realization that Han's really figuring it out in another way. Just like Leia's figuring out how to be in a like stable relationship after the empire ends and things like that and like what what's next for her and how does she become a public figure or how does she continue to be a public figure in this post empire world and i think also then han's like okay now what because leia's been doing so much and i had, was asleep in carbonite and now we're married now i'm a public figure in a big way because i'm married to a major public figure and the empire is certainly not completely gone. And how do I deal with this with a woman who is so um, <laughs> willing to go headfirst into danger? And so is Han, by the way. So how do they balance each other out like that? And I think it's it's just interesting um, to get that perspective about Han being in Carbonite for so long and him dealing with that and realizing that that was you know a major thing that happened in his life and so many things have happened, especially his thought process about Luke as a character and how he's changed so much because really Luke goes through so much. He is the protagonist of the original trilogy. So Han's perspective is like, whoa, that's a lot. And he also <laughs> finds out that Vader is Leia's father and that Luke is his, is her brother. Like that's a lot for a partner to realize. Yeah. And I think Han's reaction is perfect. And I think that was... It was really well done, and I just have to commend Beth Revis for that because I felt like his reaction was exactly how I would expect his reaction to be. And there's a pretty good amount of foreshadowing that happens in this book about how their relationship, well, they go their separate ways, and then they have a son who is Kylo Ren. So it's just a lot, right? Like there's a lot of foreshadowing that I definitely dug, and I'm sure you did too. And I just think that like, Han's reaction, everything felt so in character. And it was just really, really perfect. Yeah, I think kind of to go back to, you know, the duel, the back and forth of the chapters, I think this was especially effective in the beginning part of the book when they're kind of not on the same page, you know, to have a bit of a pun there, when they're not on the same page about things. And so you would see something from Leia's perspective. I'm thinking particularly about like when they first arrive on the Halcyon and Leia kind of like immediately goes into meet and greet mode and like smiling at people and, you know, having to make chit chat and stuff like that. And Han like immediately leaves and goes to, you know, the lower levels to the engineering room uh, to find, I don't know, like a place to gamble. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he in his monologue, like in his chapter, he's thinking about like how Leia is so good at that. And she always has time for people. And, you know, she's so generous with her her time and attention and stuff like that. And I'm sure she's fine, you know, and he's kind of like not really putting himself in her shoes. And then we switch to Leia's perspective and she's talking about having to like put the mask back on and how she's just like so tired and is not getting where she wants to on this trip overall and everything like that. And so I think that kind of imbalance between them, we really see when they're when they're on the Halcyon in the beginning of the book and kind of going between those chapters, I thought was pretty effective in in showing how they weren't in step yet as a couple and they weren't 
acting as a couple yet either. And we see like some really good arguments between them um, and how Han is, you know, trying to figure out, like you said, Charlotte, how to be this public figure who doesn't want to be a public figure. And how is he going to manage that lifestyle? And how is Leia going to manage that lifestyle of having to include someone else in her decisions and in her her ultimate goals and stuff like that. And yeah, you mentioned the foreshadowing. I think that this book was really heavy in a good way with the foreshadowing of, you know, even though we see them come together at the end of the book to like pull off this uh, political maneuver and this action sequence, right, that happens on matters. Matters? Is that how we're saying the planet? Mater's? It's faking in space. Exactly. I don't think it's Mater's. I bet I, it's Mater's. Mater's. I don't know. I was, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was reading it as Matters. Mater's okay. works too. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, even though we see them come together at the end um, on Mater's, uh, I think we can still kind of read between the lines of where their strengths are as a couple and where their weaknesses are too. And I think that this is a very interesting book in the sense of it is this like very happy romance of them finally getting married and everything like that. Um, you know, building off the happy ending of Return of the Jedi. But I think there's a part where Leia talks about, you know, a, a quintessential happy ending, but realizing that it's not a happy ending and or an ending, I should say. And I thought that was such like a good meta moment of kind of Star Wars in general, because Returning the Jedi is such a perfect ending, but it's not really an ending. It's just a new beginning. Yeah, I think that this book, you know, in the place that it's in right after Return of the Jedi, but knowing that kind of the next time we see these characters on the screen anyway, they are separated, I think is a really challenging thing to write, like writing these people being in love, but also kind of acknowledging the places where they might not fit together or might not communicate as well quite yet. And if those are things that they're able to bridge in the future. Um, but we know that something devastating happens to their family in the future and they're not able to recover from it in the same way that they're able to in The Princess and the Scoundrel. Of course, those are very different events that happen, right? But I do think that's like a fine line in this book that I thought was really well done with some of that foreshadowing about the Force and Vader and how they communicate with one another. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that as much as this book is a romance and it is a post-Return of the Jedi story, I think it's also a story about like becoming a team and working to be a team in marriage. And obviously that is a major theme of the book. It, literally the plot of the book, but um, I think it's interesting to consider the ways in which Han and Leia um, have to like learn how to rely on each other in big ways and ways that we hadn't seen them rely on each other in uh, the original trilogy. They were, you know, always in turmoil and it's not like those uh, tumultuous times are completely over. Of course not. That's what this book deals with. But like, how do you become, how do you be a couple where that's not always and only the backdrop. Even the next time that they that we see them in The Force Awakens when they come together again, um, you wonder how all those like pieces of being a team sort of dissolved. Or, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. There's a there's a novel to be written. I think about all of that. 
I don't, this is not it. This is how you build each other up, I guess. And like we said, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing. I love them as a couple and I really enjoyed seeing all of the the romance bits too. I just think it was really well done. I loved the wedding. I loved how Luke officiated the wedding. I loved the bachelor party. <laughs> I love the dress. I love it all. I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I really appreciated how um, Beth Revis really took the theme of like marriage and extended it into how to be partners and not just combat, but emotional partners too, in ways that we hadn't fully seen in the original trilogy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel like we kind of already talked about some of the parts that stick out in our memory. I think like for Mm -hmm. me, it was definitely a lot of their arguments. And then like you had already mentioned, like Han being frozen in carbonite. I thought that Beth Ravis did a really good job talking through both Leia and Han's feelings about it. Um, And you kind of already said all of this, but just to reiterate for myself, (laughs) um, (laughs) I really liked this vantage point into Han, just like you. I think it's something that hasn't gotten explored that much, I think, for Han's character. And if it has, I've forgotten it. So I apologize. But I think that I think that it was great that this wasn't like a one and done kind of comment from Han or Leia at some point. Like we see this really sitting with them both throughout the book and and even like with Leia about wondering how to tell him all of these things that happened to her like meeting Kira for one thing I was like that's super cool um that she's like thinking about that like in this book and like even talks to him about it you know towards the end and even like choosing to have Madurs as like an ice planet so that when Han when they're underwater you know, Han is having that that trauma, honestly, of like being back in that situation and how is he going to move through it? And Leia recognizing that in him, I think, shows just how like in tune she is to him and what has happened, which I thought was a really great uh, thing to include in this book. And yeah, it wasn't something that was just kind of mentioned by Han randomly. It was something that really stuck with him and bothered him, obviously, you know, thinking about all the things he missed, thinking about you know, who Luke became, who Leia became, that they all have this. Let me see. Let me hold on. Let me flip to it because I thought it was really well written. This is on page 90 and this is in Han's POV. And he says, oh, right. That damn missing year bumped up against the blank spots of his memory. Jabba would be thrilled to know, were he not dead? How much it haunted Han that he had lost so much time while frozen in carbonite. He hadn't just lost the past. He also didn't have the groundwork for the future that the others did and unmoored him in ways he didn't like to think about. And I think that's a really good way to describe it too, like this grounding that Leia and Luke have that Han is kind of missing, right? Like we know that they all joined, like Luke and Han joined the rebellion and everything like that. And Han made the, you know, the good guy choice, the scoundrel with morals kind of thing. But like Luke that time in Empire between Empire and Return of the Jedi was his time of training, of finding himself and stuff like that. And Leia, it was gaining this new upper hand, this new leadership in the rebellion, remembering every day what it is that they're fighting for. And there are all these experiences, like a year is forever for a war, you know what I mean? And for Han to have not met, to have been there for that um, and not having that grounding, I think was a really great way to describe that. And I think also worked really well with, you know, the amount of like time underwater they spend later in the book and like that not having solid ground, having that footing. Very similar, I think, you know, to the situations mm-hmm. we see them in at the end of the book, which I thought was a good connection. 
Totally. I was thinking a lot about how in other pieces of canon, Leia has been called the Ice Princess and how this book was on an ice planet. And with what you just said about how like they were in water, unmoored, lost almost in the water. And then you see Leia having to deal with melting ice and things like that. It was really sort of this Mm -hmm. great metaphor, I think, for how Leia really needed to strip down that like icy exterior of being a public figure and also find that sense of partnership between Han, who was also experiencing similar things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I thought, I think that's a good uh, inclusion about the ice princess of it all. Yeah. I think about that term a lot because I think it's a really, I think that was established in the Princess Leia comic and it might've been, it might've had some roots in the EU as well. But I think that, I think it's a really good way to think about what Leia was facing, at least as a public figure, because it comes up a lot in books, I feel like, especially Bloodline and this one, and how people perceive her. And then to your point about how Han, like Leia and Luke are a certain way after a year in the beginning of Return of the Jedi and Han is not, like I think it's really important to think about those three characters and how we're introed to them in Return of the Jedi and how that is sort of reflected here in this book as well. In Return of the Jedi, there's the utmost confidence with both Luke and Leia. Luke is like never been more confident in his entire life and like the Chanel boots of it all, you know? And then oh also with, <laughs> with Leia, I mean, her in the disguise, picking up her lover in Jabba's palace. We can debate about whether or not that was an entire plan in Jabba's palace, but I think we can assume that perhaps it is. And they knew what they were doing. They were trying to do something and pull something off. There's confidence in that. When Han wakes up though, I mean, he's not even, he's not awake in the beginning of Return of the Jedi. And when he does wake up, he's blind and he takes, it takes a long time for him to acclimate. And I think that like acclimatizing is still happening in this book. And it's just interesting to keep in mind. And I, I bet it was a nice challenge for Beth Revis to dig into, challenge in a good way. And I respect it and I really enjoyed reading about it. All right. Let's talk about another challenge, the Halcyon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How did this book handle the Halcyon inclusion? Well, I think it handled it pretty well. There were some parts, like a couple pages where I was like, this is a little advertisement-like. But I think it handled it pretty well. It's not a huge part of the book, in my opinion. I think they spend maybe like less than a third of amount of a of amount of time on the Halcyon. Um, it was when the book was like describing different aspects of the Halcyon that felt very like Disney to me. I enjoyed it though, in the same way that I enjoyed the Le the Lego special Halcyon inclusion, just because I was like, oh, that's cool, that's nice, because Keelan and I have been there. Um, however, I think it's interesting that this book, <laughs> like Han and Leia both didn't want to spend a lot of time on the Halcyon. They were like begrudgingly going on it. It's not like they were like another, a situation for these two characters would be, you know what? The Halcyon is a perfect place. Let's go. Luke, you should come too. You know, Lando, you should come too. Like that could have been the story here. But instead, it, it wasn't. It was Han and Han and Leia begrudgingly go on a honeymoon on the Halcyon, and they deal with the fact that they're put face-to-face -face with people who haven't experienced the horrors of war like Han and Leia have. And in, instead, they have to like deal with the fact that they're rubbing elbows with people in like the Canto Bite sphere of 
people who are trying to be like, the empire is done. The Halcyon is free. And now it's reopening and it's going to be a grand old time. When that sort of like is cleansing the entire narrative of the rebellion versus the empire in a very quick way. Um, and I think that their reactions sort of mimic a lot of people's react. Like their reactions are sort of appropriate there. Um, and so in in that respect, I think that this inclusion was fine. There's no skirting around it though. Like this is a, this is the tie-in, the tie-in for this book. And if this is what we had to do to get Han and Leia romance, I'm in. It's all good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think the Halcyon worked well enough. You know what I mean? Like, of course, it didn't have to be the Halcyon. Um, I will say, I feel like they said the name of the ship so many yeah. times in the yeah. book. <laughs> the only part that I thought was like particularly funny about walking around in the Halcyon was them pointing out that the engineering or the brig was kind of like out in the open or like not hidden away because it's not mm. like on the actual Halcyon because it's right next to the dining room <laughs> because that's yeah it's like right there <laughs> the size of the ship and like the building and and how the story works when you're you know actually on the galactic star cruiser so I thought it was kind of funny that there wasn't I guess a little bit more liberty taken there of, you know, maybe we should put the engineering rooms actually not across from the dining room, but uh, I'm sure that was kind of told to her by people. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure that wasn't Beth Revis's choice. And even like Han um, looking for the engineering rooms and he's like, Oh, this area says no one should enter. Do I have access? No. But then it like opens because that's what you do when you're on the Halcyon is you have to get access into doors that you originally don't have access into. So I did think that was kind of funny, honestly. And uh, kind of the constant monologue of the Halcyon is the best from all of the people who work on it, mm-hmm. I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, I I. I just think that that felt a little meta in a way yeah. that I respected. I think they did a good job with it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they did the same thing with Batu as far as like tie-ins to books and comics and stuff like that. So it's certainly not unexpected for them to do this with the Halcyon. Mm-hmm. So I think just as like super fans, we're hyper aware of it being like very much a Disney property as opposed to like other types of tie-ins from the Star Wars universe. Like, we know that they want us to go to Batu and the Galactic Star Cruiser, right? So I think there's always going to be like a hard line of fun tie-in, feel like you're marketing to me, right? And mm-hmm. I think you're always just going to be walking that line. And I think it's fun to have these big tie-ins. And I think it's super ambitious to kind of have the breadth of tie-ins in the way that Star Wars does with places like Batu and the Galactic Star Cruiser. So I... I like having these kind of bold choices, I guess, even if it can at times feel quite markety to me. That being said, I really did like that the Halcyon, for me, their time on the Halcyon kind of showcased to me how sometimes like tunnel visioned Leia could be and honestly like kind of selfish in her choices about things, like in her arguments with Han and kind of not including him. Like you said earlier that they like both didn't want to go on the Halcyon, which I think which is true. But Leia, once she realizes that she might be able to work it to the rebellion's advantage, the new government's advantage, I should say, she's like she's much more into the idea. And but she's like trying to manipulate Captain Dicto into, 
you know, diverting course to go to Madurs. And I think that we don't like see Leia really considering what that means for the rest of the ship. She's just very much like, this is what I want. How can I get that? And kind of drags Han into this, you know, whole bit with Captain Dicto and doesn't really fill him in on what's going on. And then later in the climate simulator, which I liked how Leia went to the climate simulator quite a bit. And I liked her scenes out there, honestly. I think a lot of people kind of make fun of the climate simulator because it's literally just stepping outside into Orlando when you're actually there. But I think in the book, (laughs) and it's quite small too, but in the book, I think it works really well um, with Leia thinking about the force and like trying to use the rock, move the rock garden and everything like that. I thought that was really well done for her relationship with the force as it goes through the book. And of course, it's not just about rocks moving, but sometimes it is. So it was great to have the climate simulator be that place for that scene to happen. And then I also liked her going back there after she gets her way with Captain Dicto to change course for the Halcyon. And all these people in there are complaining about it. And they're like, why did this happen? I don't have the right clothes. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? And I don't think she really considered how much of an upheaval that kind of is for the entire ship that thought one thing was happening and suddenly an entirely new thing is happening. And not only that, but it becomes this huge battle basically with the Empire at the end. And these are all just like cruise guests and, you know, people checking to see if the climate simulator had changed to like snowy weather to confirm if they were actually going to a new planet. I thought I I actually really liked that inclusion. And I liked Leia kind of having to eavesdrop on people be upset about what was happening Um, because of course, like I'm on Leia's side. Like I think she's obviously working for the greater good of the galaxy, which she's a hero. So that's what she should be doing. But I think like on that smaller scale, and I think this is what Han was later arguing with her about was like, no, you are not, we're husband and wife. Maybe it's okay for you to take a step back and just be here with me. Like, is that such a bad thing to just be here with me and let's eat, stay in bed, let's do all of those things. But furthermore, if that's not what we're going to do, you need to at least clue me in. You know, like that's what it means to be husband and wife because Mm -hmm, she was mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book. They both were. But Leia was very much kind of acting on her own and for her own goals. And that was kind of all she was focused on. So in that vein, I I was I liked what being on the Halcyon represented for Leia's character and kind of seeing more of that that I guess I would call it like the flaw of Leia and kind of that selfish thinking and Mm -hmm. selfish isn't like the best way to describe it because, again, she's a hero. But I think it was also selfish. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think you're saying anything out of turn. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense to me about the way that each of them were were acting. And I think it really plays into what I was talking about before about the Ice Princess and also her dealing with the fact that Han is like just reentering the picture, even though they just got married. And that's the shock of all that too. Um, but, you know, Han is reentering the picture of her in as being part of the rebellion and like a leader in the rebellion. And now he's back, but he's been gone for a year. And so what does that mean? And how have things changed? Again, things really have changed. So 
um, I'm with you. And I totally agree with everything that you said about the Halcyon. I agree. I like the climate simulator moments. And I just wanted to add that it's cool that she was trying to use the force there because in on the Halcyon, there's a storyline with some force users that actually happens and things move out there in the climate simulator. So it's cool to think about like if you're there, you know, I don't know. It, it ties in basically. Yeah, that, um, uh, that wasn't my track when I was on the Halcyon. So uh, yeah, 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 not our tracks, <laughs> so, but, but we know about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, overall, though, in terms of my initial thoughts about this book, I think it was really well done. I liked it. And I think that it had a lot of good things to say. I actually probably continue to think about with me watching the films. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, should we move into talking about part two with deeper themes? All right, welcome to part two, where we are talking about deeper themes in The Princess and the Scoundrel. So kind of first, a question we haven't asked in a while what is the state of the galaxy? Thinking about big picture here. Love this question. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about this in the previous section, but we are dealing with the after effects of the war with Return of the Jedi and the fact that the second Death Star has blown up, that Palpatine is dead, a lot of people are dead. And I think from the sequel trilogy, we are aware that like splinter groups are beginning to form and rise and in the shadows, the contingency plan is happening, right? So that was in the, it's in the background of a lot of our brains, people who've kept up with canon and people who are keenly aware of the sequel trilogy. Like it doesn't come out of nowhere. History repeats itself, right? And so I think that that initial shock of oh, wow, there's a lot of work to do and the empire is still like almost fully out there. Like there are are a lot of planets and a lot of people like haven't fully received the message about it all. I thought that was really interesting. And I think that this is something that Star Wars will continue to kind of come back to. We're dealing with it with the Mandalorian as well. The Empire does not go away. And I think what's curious about these smaller scale Star Wars stories and books is it must be difficult to thread the line between how do you find a victory at the end of most of these smaller scale Star Wars books? I mean, I think this is like a general Star Wars question when, again, like I said, history repeats itself. And when you work within a trilogy, you want to have a happy ending, but you also want to leave room for the future. I recognize that that's a difficult spot to be in with film, but I think with books, it might be even harder because especially when we're familiar with this time period and what happens in this book can't necessarily shake up our view of galactic politics because it happens throughout, you know, our transmedia narrative of Star Wars, right? So when we're talking about the after effects of the war, it has to fit into all these different pieces. Like Caitlin was mentioning about how Beth really did a great job of threading the needle there. And I just think it needs to be said that it's a very small piece of need. Like <laughs> what's the, what's the term here? The the thread is extremely small, almost microscopic to thread between the all these of pieces the of canon here. Yes, the eye of the needle. Thank you. And I think something that this book really deals with is if the state of the galaxy is the empire is over, there's a lot of work to do, but how much can you celebrate the fact that you blew up the second Death Star, the empire, the Palpatine is dead, Vader's dead, and the the head has been caught off, cut off, right? And how much can you celebrate? How much can you celebrate a wedding, the end of the empire, um, and will there ever not be work to do? 
And I think you can take those questions and it becomes smaller scale into a relationship like Han and Leia's, which I think this book did a really good job of. And I think we spent a lot of time talking about that in part one, but it was worth acknowledging the question of when is it okay to celebrate? Yeah, no, I think that this book did a really good job with that, especially like thinking about the beginning of the book with the wedding in general and kind of Leia and and even like Mon Mothma basically kind of forcing them to go on this honeymoon. And Leia is very much like, I could also make it like a diplomatic mission. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm trying to contact this prime minister and everything like that. And Mon has to be the one to remind her of like, no, it's, it's actually okay for you to take a second and just enjoy being married. And Leia like physically can't turn off that switch, um, which I think, you know, speaks to her character overall as we see. And I think that's some of the like foreshadowing that we see for kind of where Han and Leia end up in the future is that she can't actually turn off that switch, even though she tries and like comes back to Han and like after their arguments and stuff like that, um, it's kind of impossible for her to fully turn that off and to not be thinking 10 steps ahead. You had mentioned the contingency plan, which I think is smart because Leia even mentions the contingency plan and it's cool to kind of see the wheels turning in her head about what is coming next and that Palpatine has been playing the long game here for much longer than she had kind of ever really anticipated and how scary that is for her once she kind of realizes what's going on on murders and like with the um, the Empire's outpost and everything like that. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about the conversation about like there's still a lot of work to do and things like that, I think that when we – if we can go back to the question of like when is it okay to celebrate, I think it really – that sort of dovetails into the theme that this book brings up, which is the theme of art. Um, and I think these two actually work together in an interesting way that I think is worth exploring again in this conversation um, because – a lot of what we see on Madurs is an, like an ice sculpture that will melt eventually. It's it's temporary. It will be destroyed. It might fall. It might shatter. And But it's still worth celebrating. It's still worth looking at and discussing and uh, bringing into your home and hosting people around and celebrating, right? despite the fact that it is temporary. And I think both th those things actually go together really well. And again, I think that's part of why this book really resonated with me a lot, because I do think that there are well-done themes in this book. And I I found myself thinking, and maybe I'm not, I'm probably not being as deep as my brain was when I was reading it, right? It, when I was reading it than I am right now, about the function of art. I think when they're on Madurs and they're talking about they're they're sort of brought through on this like PR tour about looking at shiny things when there's an empire in the distance. And I think it really brings forth the question of like, is it okay to look at these shiny things when the empire is in the distance? Can you can we have both? Should we look at one thing versus the other? Um and it's something a, to a topic I think that Star Wars hasn't really broached ever. And I really appreciate it in this book. And I think that even when it came to Leia's wedding ring, which we can think of as a piece of art, I think that it was super cool that it was, you know, part of like an Ewok tradition and it symbolized something, which was their marriage. And when she was swimming, it crumbled. And it made me think of the ice sculptures and the art that the Madurs created and how that was temporary. And here we have another example of 
art that Leia was wearing, which is the ring falling off and disintegrating and her being upset by it. But Han obviously rectifies that in the end, which, oh my God, I love that touch so much. It is so cool that the, that's her wedding ring that we see in The Last Jedi. I can't mm-hmm. even get over it. I, I was, was like, so, am I reading so this correctly? Is this the ring that I, I'm thinking of? It made me like cry. I'm not even kidding. It was so good. But I do think that it was an interesting moment where that symbolized something. Leia was like okay with it not being there, even though she was sad about it. But then Han rectified it by giving her something that was like a symbol of teamwork about them coming together with like two different orbs that represented each of them. And so he gifted her something that she knew was beautiful, but also more permanent, but not as temporary, but like it's still a representation of their love. And I think that both those things are fine. Well, I think that art, like part of art is the process of making it. Like that is yeah. part of the artistry. I think like thinking about this planet, you know, you're thinking of like all of the the ice hotels like in Finland and Sweden and, you know, those places very much up north, but how they have to recreate them every year and in like tons of cultures around the world and stuff like part of creating that skill set that tradition of creation that is often what's valued more than not more than but just as much as the thing that's being created itself and so I think there's that I don't know if I agree like the prime minister at one point says that like art must have function the quote he says from page 202 that Art must have function. It is true of nature as well. Stars twinkle prettily, but it is only because they burn to live. And I don't know. I think that I don't know if art has to have function, if maybe the function is just it's aesthetic, if that becomes it's a function. Um, I think it can, obviously, but I don't know if it has to and if it has to all the time. I don't know. Not to get like too far down that rabbit hole. No, I think that that was the question that you're supposed to ask though, by the way, because there's those creatures that live underneath the ice, right? And they made a big deal of talking about how they just existed. They just were. Like they didn't really serve a function. And later I think they do in the book serve a a function individually to Han and Leia. But I think that it was curious that there was a whole page talking about how those creatures, I think they're called like I can't remember that. Enots, Enots, yeah, thank you. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. They just were. Like they just were. They said that. And I was I was like, interesting. Okay. So in the in the conversation with the prime minister saying that art must have a function, like, well, those creatures just exist. So sometimes the function can just be to exist also. With the Enots, is that what we decided they were called? The the underwater purgles is kind of how I thought of them (laughs) Um, when I was reading it. But I think uh, when they're in those cliffside dwellings, they talk about how they can't use those animals for like meat and stuff like that, right? Like when they're fishing, like their makeup or something is poison to humans and the people who live on Madurs. I think I think they were talking about that creature. Anyway, just adding to your point of they didn't have like a function necessarily. They just but I think the discussion overall on Madurs about art as temporary and like that, you know, that kind of obvious metaphor of it, like everything beautiful must die kind of vibe. Um feels very <laughs> Star Wars' tragedy, right? Feels very dramatic, mm-hmm. dramatique, mm-hmm. I should say. Uh but mm-hmm. I think this works really well with what you were talking about earlier, Charlotte, with like the war and when is it time to celebrate? When can you celebrate? And also the idea of history repeating itself too. Like all of these accomplishments that the rebellion uh has, this new government that they're building 
these new ice sculptures, right? If their achievements are ice sculptures, then eventually those will melt down as well too. And the empire will rule again in a new way in the, the, the first order. And I think it's kind of a good metaphor for Star Wars as a whole, like you were talking about this cycle of repetition of good versus evil, which is obviously, you know, one of the core underpinnings of Star Wars. So I think that this planet as a whole worked really well on a lot of different levels, even thinking about like its, you know, potential destruction too, and what that kind of symbolizes as even though they had won the war, they still could have lost this planet and like all of its culture and its people. And when that was kind of a real possibility in the book, I was really sad. I was like, no, there's there's no mm-hmm. way. Like they can't, this can't happen, right? Like you can't ask, Leia is not going to let herself watch another planet be destroyed, you know? I I don't know. And, like, we do spend so much time hearing about the culture on this planet, not only from, like, you know, the high style of the the palace itself, but all the way down to, like, what the day-to-day people are doing and their fishing and, you know, the type of art that they're creating and, you know, their traditions – of survival and like fishing and things like that. And and even how they're doing things that aren't uh, related to technology. Like when they were, I forget how it's described, but like them signaling each other when they're, you know, making their plan mm-hmm. against the empire, they make a point to be like, yeah, it can't be tra- traced because it's not, it's not technology. It's just like light, I think is what they were using. So I thought that was all really, really cool. And so the idea of like this planet being destroyed was really upsetting. And of course, there are like the, you know, the climate change discussion in this book too, and seeing it happening Mm -hmm. rapidly and in real time was definitely very, uh, very real world, of course, Um, and seeing those parallels to our own world. So I think that, I think the whole Um, choice to be on a planet like this, like an ice planet. On one hand, you could look at it and be like, all right, why are we having another ice planet? Like we already did Hoth. But I think that very much in our discussion about uh, like Obi-Wan and Vader having the same conversation in a lot of ways that Ahsoka and, and Vader do, I think we can look at this and ask why we're having two major milestones of Han and Leia's relationship happen on ice planets. Because I do consider... Hoth like a milestone in their relationship yeah and I think like how the and how as we as an audience understand the relationship and so I think it's worth asking why we're revisiting another ice planet to kind of challenge their relationship the same way they were kind of challenging each other on Hoth and we don't spend as much time on Hoth the way that we with Han and Leia the way that we do obviously on Madur's but I think that to a lot of the things that we've been talking about in this episode and and even like the whole discussion of the ice princess and it melting and Leia coming together with Han and them finally working as a team like I think there are reasons for choosing a planet like Madur's one of it being for its similarities to Hoth and how Han and Leia are now different and how they act differently now that they've had the experiences that they have. Whereas on Hoth, they were just straight up bickering the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It provides a comparison point and we need that comparison point um, because of all those changes that they've gone through and the challenges that they face. You say that it challenges our perception of like their relationship and things like that. It also challenges our perception of like the empire 
taking over the planet and where we are right now in the timeline, it's all relative. And I think that's what's really cool and well done about this book, to be honest, is how it all feels very interconnected, all these themes. Um, It gave me a lot to think about, which I really appreciated. Let's talk about the romance in this book. (laughs) So I think the reason why Caitlin and I were so excited about this, obviously, we love Han and Leia as a character. We love them as a couple. And we love romance books. So we're really excited about something that really focused it focused on their relationship. And I think this book really did deliver. It, they did a whole fade to black situation. I think that I need to see more like romance novels with our main ships, I think, in Star Wars. Like I need more because we need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could it have been a little spicier? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. It could have. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely could have, but at the same time, like it's great. This is way more than I ever expected like five years ago. I'm so yeah. glad we got a Han and Leia wedding book. Like this is crazy. And yeah. it's the entire theme of the book is teamwork, is marriage, is working together, is yeah, finding that common ground. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I want to see more romance books in the future of characters who fall in love over the course yes. of the book. Like Lost Stars. Am I talking about Lost Stars? Yes, I'm talking about Lost Stars. Lost Stars, yes. <laughs> I sometimes I think about how the Disney era began with Lost Stars as I think I think a new dawn might have been before it, but Lost Stars was like one of the the big openings that came out with um aftermath at the same time and Lost Stars really was like, whoa, this is like shaking things up and I want more books like that. I think anytime Star Wars gives me a little bit of romance, I'm like very into it. I like what they do in in the High Republic, but this one is like, yes, it is. We are headed in the right direction, and I really like this. I thought the wedding was great. I think the details that actually went into the wedding were done really well, like really well. And it is obviously a romantic setting to begin with, like in the trees and like the earthy tones. It I don't know. I really felt it, I guess, in the especially in the beginning of the book. Yeah, I loved our time on Endor and I love seeing the Ewoks do the celebration. I thought it was really great. And I love um there was a part it was so funny when Han was talking about the Ewoks all drinking. Something about like how he didn't know if he was too drunk or if they could just like really <laughs> hold their liquor, like these little Ewoks. <laughs> like, was he, it was something about like thing. liberation versus libation. And I, it was just, it oh, was yeah. super funny. <laughs> oh yeah. No, 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 no. What was so funny was 3PO saying human cyborg libation. I don't oh, know if yeah. he said it. Someone said it. Yeah. Human cyborg libations was like one of the best jokes was, I've yeah. heard in Star Wars ever. It was so perfect. Yeah. It was really funny. Uh, I just loved how much the Ewoks drank. I just thought it was super yeah. funny. I mean, we knew they were partiers. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. It shouldn't be that surprising. They like immediately they knew how to turn helmets into drums and start Exactly. I thought you were about to say they immediately knew how, knew how to turn up. And I was like, you know what? They did. <laughs> what <laughs> I think is great though is that please don't tell me I'm the only one who was always like, oh, they just straight up decapitated people and like use their the helmet yeah but i this book like really spelled out that there was like no head in the helmet (laughs) which there were questions (laughs) i had questions i was like how vicious are these ewoks and they do have a line so that's good to know i mean they're not above burning people like han and luke and right um but Yeah. yeah i was glad to find out that uh, there were no heads in the helmet 
strong. Well, was there a head when Luke burned Vader and then Leia comes up on the Vader's mask? and No, because that was burned, so it was just ash. Yeah. We don't need to get so true. quite that graphic. I mean, you, you brought it up, so I was like, you know what? We're going to talk about it anyway, so we might as well move into it. Let's talk about Leia and the Force and what this book kind of like dredged up, I think, about her dealing with like her parentage and things like that. What did you think about all this? I thought it was great. One of the best parts of the book. We love some good angst on this podcast and uh, this provided the angst in a big way. (laughs) Delivered the angst. It delivered the angst on a silver platter. Yeah. Anytime Leia is like very similar to Anakin, I think it's really interesting. And you get the point here even where she's straight up staring at Vader's mask, screaming, I hate you. It doesn't get more Anakin than that. And it just felt like I can't believe we're getting this scene. It was probably one of my favorites that we've gotten in Star Wars canon in a really long time. And it was, I think, starting from that place and really a place that I think you and I had been really hoping that Star Wars explores a lot more than even more than they did in the sequel trilogy I think if about Leia's you know birth parentage and her finding out that she's Vader's daughter and how upsetting that could be and things like that I mean this book really was like wow it really is so upsetting for Leia and her having to like continuously deal with that there's a lot of in this book I think of Han being a really amazing partner in that and it made me think a lot about what their conversations were like when Ben was born. I think that we get glimpses of that in other novels, other pieces of foreshadowing like we mentioned before, but I just have this feeling that Han was like this North Star who was just like, like almost like what we always say on this podcast about how it's all about individual choices, not blood and things like that. But at the end of the day, like it is, there's a lot of ways in which Leia was similar to Anakin. And I think this book really dug into that a lot and the conversations that she was having and the stuff that was like going on in her head, I think was some of the most interesting things ever. And then also her relationship with the force. I mean, this book had to draw a a line to what happens, I suppose, shortly after this book, um, when she starts training with Luke, uh, that we like what we saw in the rise of Skywalker. And then also to get her to the point where she, can feel the force um, in a way that saves her life in The Last Jedi as well. And so these are things that need to be explored in other novels and there's a lot of room to do that. And I think this book really sort of like kicked up the dust in order to do that and to, and like explored like her own personal relationship to it. And it really, to me, it felt like her coming to terms with that, the fact that that relationship is personal and not just, I don't know, she had to, really figure out what it means to her versus what it means to other people. And that's something that we increasingly see with our like force sensitive protagonists really is like when we think about Ray even in her conversation with Luke in the last in the last Jedi about like her specifically asking what the force is, she has to feel it for herself and feel that connection to the to the planet, to things that are growing and feel that deeply within herself. And Leia hasn't had that experience, but it's her, this recognition that happens in this book about this extremely personal connection and how she can make it her 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 own versus it being like tainted with the fact that Darth Vader is her father. Um, and so dealing with all those different things, I think that Beth Revis really did a nice job with this exploration. Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts of that was in the beginning when she's talking to Luke about it. And she tells Luke that she told Han 
and that Han didn't care. And Luke says, you know, of course, Han's one of the good ones. And Leia asks, are we, like, internally? And I think that's such a good uh, kind of snapshot of her feelings about the Force and about, like, all of the ramifications of what it means for Vader to be her father. And I think we really see Leia kind of spiraling a lot of times about and like very anxious about what all of this means for her and her relationship to the force, to Luke, to the galaxy. What I think is so great about this book and how it deals with Vader and Leia is that, you know, we know kind of where Leia stands in bloodline. Obviously, that was something that never came out about Vader until Bloodline. Um, but we Leia at that juncture has the benefit of time and everything that has, you know, she's grown older and wiser. And that's something she's had to live with that truth for years at that point in Bloodline. Whereas here in Princess and the Scoundrel, it's all brand new. It's all something that is settling on her you know, every time she thinks about Luke or thinks about the galaxy, thinks about what Vader did to her and even her trying to understand how Luke could ever forgive Vader or be okay with who he was. And she says at one point, you know, I guess I just have to accept that Luke never had his father torture him and blow up his planet. Like so matter of factly about, but also, you know, of course, like feeling so disturbed and horrified by that truth of who Vader is and how she has had contact with him through the years. She knows who he is and what he's capable of. And yeah, I think that her kind of going through all of these worst case scenarios, there's a part like at the beginning of the end of the book with Han where she starts I would, as I would describe it, like spiraling through, like, I have to make sure I get this done on Madurs because, like, this is going to come out soon about Vader. And once, once that comes out, everything that I've done, everyone's going to scrutinize it. No one's going to, like, believe my motivations or my motives. Everything I've done will be put in question. Like, she keeps going on and on and on about all the dominoes, basically, that are going to fall once the world, the galaxy finds out that Vader is her father. And I think she feels like that is imminent. But then, you know, we know that it's a very long time, actually, before that comes out to the public about that lineage. But I think to your point about Han being a great partner for Leia in all of this, I think, yeah, I think it was some of the best moments for Han and Leia was Han comforting Leia about this. I think that, you know, Han's initial response, right, was uh, it doesn't matter who your father is. But I think we see a couple instances of him throughout the book kind of not questioning who Leia is, of course, but like I think fully kind of understanding yeah. what it means and and kind of having a moment of of doubt, of panic, of, oh, wow, like that's that's actually pretty serious. Let me sit yeah, and with that's this totally for a fair. moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But I love that his initial reaction with Leia was, it doesn't matter. And then later on in the book, too, he has this great conversation with Leia where, you know, she's frustrated that, you know, the one time I tried to use the force to help us and it doesn't work. Uh, and he's like, listen, you just, you're so worried about it being Vader's force or Luke's force 
neither of them did things the same way. You don't have to either. Like you just need to figure out how to connect with it on your level. That's what matters here. Not Vader, not Luke, neither one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You -hmm. need to do this figured out for yourself, like what it means for you as Leia, not as anyone else. Um, And I thought that was such, like I love that Han is the person here giving her guidance training almost as it were because this whole time she's kind of thinking about if she does or doesn't want to go and train with Luke or or figure out more about the force so I love that kind of her first real I guess connection with the meaningful connection with the force one that that situation is with Han but also that he like helped her in some small way of just reassuring her and recentering her that she needs to get Vader and Luke out of her head because they don't actually matter in this situation. It's mm-hmm. just about her. It makes me think of what happens after this book with the conversations that Leia has with Luke about learning the Force. Like, what sort of Pandora's box does she open when she finally gets in touch with the Force? I think that's what it sort is sort of hinted at in the Rise of Skywalker about the vision that I truly find very confusing. It, who's to say? Yeah, it's very confusing. And honestly, this could have happened and just been discussed in Shadow of the Sith, and I haven't gotten to that one fully yet. I don't think it was, though. And I I think that what I'm saying, though, is that once she has and finds that personal connection, what else does she find and what else does she explore? I'm looking forward to seeing that someday because I think that she then decides to kind of put a, put a pin in that and <laughs> deal with that later um, and focus on being you know, general Leo Organa for a while. And those are, those things aren't necessarily like mutually exclusive as we see in the last Jedi, but that's what Luke says in the rise of Skywalker is that she moves on, doesn't train to be a Jedi anymore. So um, again, I find the whole thing very confusing still. Everyone knows that, but I still think that I was thinking about it during this book and how her relationship grows and changes. And it's very, I think it's probably pretty nonlinear in comparison to Luke's own journey with the force. Yeah, I think nonlinear is probably the best way to describe it because she goes from a place of, I would say, fear about the Force and that if she Mm -hmm. does tap into it, it means she's going to be on the dark side or embodying Vader in some way, even in a little bit, which she wouldn't want to do. But by the end of it, she's in a very different place when it comes to the Force. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's confusing to think about because... We know that Leia gets training, but she eventually abandons it. But we also know that her and Han make the decision, one, to not tell Ben about Vader, but also make the decision for him to get training. So it's just, it is kind of confusing. And part of me thinks that Han is the one who, like, calmed Leia's fears about Ben getting training or was the one who maybe suggested it in the first place because he doesn't, he doesn't seem to operate from that same place of fear uh, the way that Leia does sometimes in this book. So yeah, I hope I hope you're right that one day we get a better look at all of that, like that whole story, even like Last Shot, uh, which we have, you know, baby Ben in Last Shot. We don't see, we don't see as much of that time period of them making the decision to send Luke off to training, uh, to send Ben off for training and what that means. Uh, for them and how they feel about the force and the lineage and if they even talked about when the best time was to tell Ben about Vader. 
there are still a lot of question marks there that I hope we get answered one day because, yeah, the that part is still really confusing about what Leia meant uh, or what Luke meant that Leia meant in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, personally, I feel like Leia's story and her relationship with the Force has a lot to do with Ben Solo, considering she kind of pulled the plug when she found out she was pregnant. So I think that I wonder if a future story that they're hoping to explore someday, whether it's a book book form, animation, or live action, will deal with that in a different way. And we're getting glimpses of how they were, they're going to approach it. Because if we can use the word again, nonlinear, to describe Leia's relationship with the Force, I think that all of those are sort of intrinsically tied. Like you were men- mentioning about her son, it's a mother-son relationship and how she's able to sort of let go and let him do that um, and explore the force within himself and things like that, right? I think that there's a lot there that uh, is a story waiting to happen. And what we're talking about is sort of like talking around a lot of that, even though I also think we're talking about Leia's own personal connection. But I just think that there's a sense of there's a story there where you can talk about both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is there anything else we want to talk about in the deeper themes before we move on to quotes? I think we should move on to quotes. Let's move on to quotes. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. So welcome to part three, where we give each other quotes to react to, blindly react to. (laughs) And the purpose is we give give each other a page number of the book. We flip to it and one person reads it and the other person reacts aloud to it about um, what, how that made them feel, what they think of immediately. It could be something outside of the book. It could be within the book. Um, well, the quote is inside the book, but what, what they think <laughs> of could be outside of the book, um, could be a word. Uh, it allows us to sort of think about things um, in a different way. So do you want to go first? Yes, yes. We do love thinking about okay. things. Um. <laughs> In a different way. In a different way. way. (laughs) (laughs) Before we started this section, though, I meant to include in the last section that um, this isn't in my quotes that I picked out for you. But one of my favorite parts of this book was in the when they were on the Halcyon and Han and Leia are arguing and they're separated, like they've Leia stormed off or whatever. And Han gets so angry, but he realizes that he's also so hungry, and so he goes and grabs like. (laughs) six pies or something like that and they're just like all cramped in his arms and that um assistant to leia is then describing to han how the pies take like a week to make each and he's just like eating them one bite at a time (laughs) and then he's she's like are you upset about anything and he's like his mouth is full of pie and he's just like no i'm not angry I just wanted pie. His blood sugar was low. <laughs> yeah. <I> just, uh, <laughs> it was great. This book actually was quite was funny. funny. I don't yeah. think we talked about that enough. There was uh, some good jokes, some good gags that made me actually laugh out loud, which I appreciate. Yeah. Anyway, I had to uh, share the I'm not mad. I just wanted pie story as Han like <laughs> has his arms full of pies. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. So your first one is on page 154. And it is at the top of the page. So this is when Leia is basically trying to get her way on the Halcyon with Captain Dicto. That was what Captain Dicto had said, with the same conviction Leia had spoken with during the rebellion. She was frustrated to not be able to truly work right now. But what was really bothering her was the fact that she was no longer in control. 
I like this because it really speaks to one of Leia's strengths and her weaknesses. This like sense of no longer being in control, it really bothers her. I relate to this deeply because it is definitely um, a detriment to be controlling. But then also Leia is a natural born leader. So it's a major strength of hers to lead the rebellion and to be a symbol for hope. So I think that in this moment, the the sentence she was frustrated to not be she was frustrated to not be able to truly work right now but what really bothered was really bothering her was the fact that she was no longer in control the first part of the sentence sentence is she shouldn't be working on her on her honeymoon and if only she could work on her relationship versus the rebellion maybe things would be a little bit clearer like you know the whole concept of you know working on your own personal growth before you can work on anything else i think that that is Leia to a T. Yeah, I thought it was just like a good synthesis of Leia's, like we were talking about earlier, like I thought this book did a good job of showing their flaws as characters like Leia and Han. And in this moment, like working so hard, but she's also just frustrated to not be in control. And that's ultimately what she wants. But that's kind of, that's kind of like a Vader thing, a dark side thing, being in control, having that power. And so I think like to your point earlier about Leia being like Anakin, we see kind of glimpses Mm -hmm. of this uh, in moments like this. And there we go. Because Anakin was a great leader too, especially we saw that with Ahsoka, with his, the fact that he was a pretty good master to his Padawan and uh, he was a war hero and, but also it really frustrated him when he could never be in control of any situation, especially the situation of his premonition that Padme was going to die. One part of this book I really liked is the fact that Leia mentions that using the force, what good was the force if she couldn't use it to save people that she loves or she has something along the lines of those. And I was like, oh, girl, <laughs> that's real close to Anakin. <laughs> and yeah. uh yeah, so this is a good example of that as well. There's a several moments in this book that are like that. And what a joy to come straight off of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series too and to have this another character's examination to Leia. Yet Leia when she's 10 years old, now Leia when she's, I don't know, 23 um, here. And both are clear reflections of how Leia exists within the sphere of being Darth Vader's daughter in definitely two different places. So. Yeah. Okay. So your quote is on page 232. Okay. It's at the bottom of the page. Han wasn't sure he would ever be able to let go of the rage and terror Vader instilled in him, even if the monster was dead now. Han had lived with those emotions trapped inside of him for nearly a year when he was frozen in carbonite. They had left scars, deep ones no one could see. But he could separate those... but he could separate those emotions from Leia. He could see all the sides of her. Leia fractured herself for everyone. The strong warrior of the rebellion, the savvy politician for the Senate, the gracious leader for the people. But she was whole in front of him, multifaceted and sometimes cracked, but whole. I love this part. Um, One, I love him talking about Leia fracturing herself because at one point you and I had this metaphor for Star Wars that actually a listener had tweeted at us about Star Wars being fractals of stories and themes like on top of each other. And it's actually been a while since we talked about that metaphor, but I always thought it was actually such like a great way to talk about Star Wars, especially now that we have so much Star Wars um, that kind of talking about it as poetry isn't kind of enough um, with as many creators and storytellers and visions that there are. I think that 
the fractals of it, of Star Wars as fractals. That's kind of the modern, the contemporary way to talk about Star Wars as poetry. Uh, so that was what I kind of thought of first when I read this passage. But I think this passage goes really nicely with our conversation about Han and Vader and how even though his initial reaction had been one of support, he, you know, as he sits with it more, he kind of realizes the weight of what that of what that actually means. I think he comes to empathize better with what Leia is actually feeling. You know, it's not as simple as just saying, it's okay, don't worry about it. Like not only does Leia have, you know, trauma from Vader, but so does Han. Um, I think it's easy to forget that Vader personally tortured Han as well in Empire Strikes Back. Sorry, as an aside, that reminded me of when I was watching with my nieces that scene and they were like, what did Vader do to Han? And I was like, they closed the door. We don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, but that Han, like Han has these thoughts throughout the book of, wait a second, you know, this, this is serious. This, this means a lot more than maybe I initially thought it did or kind of realized it did of, of Vader being Leia's father. But him going through this monologue, I think, was so important for him to understand the weight of what that means and what that means for Leia, too, but also for himself and how he has feelings about Vader and about Vader's role in his life and in this horrible thing that happened to him where he lost a year of his life and recognizing that that is all a part of Leia, but it doesn't define her, but also that he can't he can't just like cut that piece of of who she is out no more than she can. Um, it is a part of her. And I think this is what he is saying here. He can see all sides of her mm-hmm. and he can like put away the the fear of Vader uh, and Leia and like that connection. But you can't get rid of it, right? It's still there. And I think maybe he's still is going to go on that journey, like in the future, especially when it comes to Ben Solo later on. But I think it's so important for him to have this moment of seeing all these sides of her. Because in the beginning of the story, I think I mentioned this at the t- near the beginning of the show, when he like leaves Leia to do basically like a meet and greet uh, to go find people to gamble with. He's like, oh, she's fine, whatever. And like kind of frustrated at her, honestly, that she's not taking the time to spend with him. But I think in this passage, we see, you know, growth from Han of realizing this is who Leia is. And like we're learning how to grow and function together as a team, all versions of her, the public and the private side. And they are one person. Yeah. So the reason why I think everything you said is perfect. But the reason why I chose this actually is something that you referred to, but perhaps not on the nose and it is the quote multifaceted and sometimes cracked but whole reminded me of the kintsugi mask Mm -hmm. that we talked about so much around the rise of skywalker because what that represents is all these different broken pieces that are put back together to make something whole to cover up something and i think that's exactly what han is referring to yeah no i think you're exactly right mother kintsugi yeah yes um, it's been a while since we've said that word on the podcast, I feel like, but it's still like one of my fa- our favorite, I, my favorite things, to be honest. So Caitlin came up with that her, all herself. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that the other day, I think because um, a listener in our Patreon said that they had actually found us 
uh, because we wow. talked about Kintsugi on Star Wars Explained. Oh, yeah. It was after the meta was published, and we went on Star Wars Explained to talk about it. And they said that that was how they found the podcast, which I thought was cool. Um, anyway, yeah, so I was thinking about that uh, not too long ago, actually. So I should have brought it up in this quote. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you basically did. That's kind of yeah. what I was saying, is that you did. You talked about all the concepts of Kintsugi without talking about Kintsugi. Without saying Kintsugi, yeah. and And I think it's also, like, as much as we've talked about that broken mask of Kylo Ren's and the Rise of Skywalker and what it means inside the story and outside of the story, I think that it is curious to think about Leia also containing those multitudes and multi and like all that multifaceted like appearance um, because all of that is true. But Ben just covers it up with a mask. And le- what is Leia's mask? I think so many characters in Star Wars carry and wear a mask. Some are physical, some aren't. And I, I do think this is something we've talked about on the show before, but I think it's worth bringing up again as we continue to think about the parallels between mother and son. Yeah, I think it's good too because with with Ben, we're often talking about Ben and Han and their parallels mm-hmm. um, and not as much about Leia and Ben. So yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. All right. Your next quote is on page 316. All right. It's the end. Um, I feel like all of our quotes went really well together, actually. All right. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes it happens, you know? (laughs) So this is after... um, This is after Leia uses the Force, basically. And they're floating in the water, and she kind of spaces out for a second. And Han says... Han watched her blink as she seemed to come back to the moment. She turned to him with a smile, but he couldn't force his face to mask the emotion rising within him, a question, and a fear. Wow, this really goes with what we were just talking right? about. <laughs> what's it, what's curious is if we're talking about Ben Solo, Ben I, can't yeah. hide his emotions at all, but Han and Han can't either. So it's curious when Leia can. Um and then Ben has to create a mask in order to hide his boyish emotions and his fear and things like that. But Han doesn't dare hide it at all, especially in this quote. What is Han Curious. scared of? I think Han is scared of, like, it's a sort of a healthy dose of fear, I think, about <laughs> the coming of the future and um, that sort of rush that happened when they got married. And now uh, he continues to question and think about the fact that Leia is Darth Vader's daughter and that he's married into a, you know, a brother sister duo that are perhaps like some of the most powerful force users in the galaxy. And witnessing that is something else that he's never really witnessed. So it's, it's a new, new thing to witness for him. It's a, I think it's fair for him to fear it. But I think when we look towards the future and know, what's coming. I think he is fully entangled in the mess that is the Skywalkers, I guess. Uh, And that, again, totally fair for him to have some fear, um, even though Leia is sort of elated. But yeah. Yeah, I thought it was such an interesting choice to put that and if he had a, a fear here, because I kind of felt at this point that Han had had gone through a lot of his feelings about the force and Leia and Vader so then from for him to have this moment of fear knowing that Leia has probably been the cause of calling these huge creatures here I thought was very ominous uh to your point about thinking about the future and what all of that means so I liked it I liked this kind of little 
ominous thread here at the end. Yeah. Okay. So if you're ready for your next quote, your quote is on page 339. Okay. And it's at the bottom of the page and it's pretty similar to what we've been talking about. Um, Tentatively, Leia reached out again, simply hoping to feel something. She closed her eyes, trying to recall the peace, the silence, the stillness of the sea. No, she hadn't felt the force in the water. She felt it inside herself. That was also the difference. At those other times, she's been reaching forward, trying to grab something in the great beyond, but it had been threaded with her, within herself the whole time. And the force was much, and the force as much felt her as she had felt it. And so when she had asked for help rather than trying to seize control, it had answered. Yeah, this goes along really nicely with what we've been talking about. And I think speaks also to that quote, that conversation between Han and Leia earlier in the book of Han, you know, telling her it's not about Vader and Luke, it's about you. And this is when she fully kind of literally and figuratively internalizes that and is able to connect with the force. And I like how it kind of hints at like the living and cosmic force here too, that the force felt her and she felt the force because the force is sentient, right? The cosmic force mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and also the living force. The living minute, force, yeah. They're both <laughs> sentient. Um, uh-huh. I'd say the living force is the the animals that come, mm-hmm. but then like the cosmic force, I don't know, it kind of felt like what Leia was referring to here was the cosmic force. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's been a minute since we've really dived into those two, but uh, that was what I thought about uh, is like this sentience of the force that I kind of liked this allusion to, I guess I should call it. Um, But yeah, I think this goes along really nicely with our discussion thus far. And uh, I, I, for one, we haven't really talked about it, but I really liked the, the, Uh, imagery in my head throughout this book of them like doing a lot of these things underwater and Mm -hmm. uh, like that kind of setting I thought was really cool for Star Wars. Uh, Definitely reminded me of the Calamari arc in the Clone Wars, but uh, like more graceful and more like deep sea Arctic vibes here. Um, But yeah, I really liked this passage of, you know, Leia finally figuring out how to connect with the Force. And I think, you know, it speaks, again, to the future of how her feelings about, like, training with Luke have changed. And how now that she knows how to connect with the Force, it kind of changes things for her. Uh, And because before, I think she was feeling like she needed to train with Luke out of desperation. But here... I think after this, she probably comes to a place uh, more peaceful about it, I would say, and kind of more understanding of like innately of what the force is to her. But then also kind of this last line here, too, uh, when she'd asked for help rather than trying to seize control, it had answered. And this, too, goes along with what we were talking about, about all the ways that Leia is similar to uh, Anakin and wanting to be in control and everything like that and and what sh- how she was acting in the beginning of the book. But here kind of relinquishing that control, asking for help. It's kind of the big theme on the book uh, as far as yeah. Han and Leia's relationship goes, but then also Leia's relas- relationship with the Force. Mm-hmm. I It's funny because when I think about the f- – when I hear the line – um, the stillness of the sea in relationship to the forest. What's actually pretty cool is that now I think about Elzar Mann in the in the High Republic and his whole relationship with the sea and 
going into the ocean to feel the force and how it, the the force kind of is very present when you're in such a like a grand mm, span yeah. of nature, right? And I think that it's cool to have those touch points that happen within Star Wars literature, I think, um, that make me think about that and how Leia is experiencing something similar, I guess, there. Yeah, that is super cool. I hadn't immediately thought of Elzar, but I think that's a really good comparison point to make because that is how Elzar experiences the Force. is like a wave, um, like the water, the mm-hmm. ocean. So it's cool that Leia kind of has something similar here. And that yeah. she'll probably always associate the Force on some level with water, I think. What happens in the water, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but is I sort of visualized it similarly to what we see happen in The Last Jedi um, yeah. with her reaching out and like making moves based off of like in a grand span of space, right? Like yeah. you can substitute the space for the ocean um, or the icy water in this instance. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And Han makes a lot of comparisons to the ocean and space. So I think we're kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah, supposed to draw that visual parallel too to The Last Jedi. Totally. Well, is there anything else we want to say about The Princess and the Scoundrel? I think we've covered a lot of it. Uh, This was such a fun book and more romance, Star Wars. We loved it. Please give us more and more Han and Leia. Yes, please. I love them and miss them. And every time I watch the original trilogy, I'm like, I love our trio there. I need more content with all of them. I We didn't even talk about that that much, but I really enjoyed seeing Luke in the beginning of this. And I just feel like I really love when they're all together <laughs> and it doesn't happen enough. And I want more books, I guess, that deal with them and have them as like a little trio. And I know that's what um, the EU sort of was, is dealing with... Uh, them as like the anchors in a lot of books and I sort of am on the train that like I I would gladly see more like canon novels of Han, Luke, and Leia in their adventures so sign me up I love it all you should absolutely watch Return of the Jedi again soon because yes perfect movie is perfect so good so true can't speak highly enough about watching it with kids with my nieces it was like the best Anyway, um, I'm gonna wrangle a child to watch, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just find, a chi- find a child. <laughs> Please come watch of the Jedi with me. Of yeah. yeah, 68 kind of prime time, so it's got to be a little yeah, specific sure. there. Anyway, I, I think everyone's excited to hear about the next stage of that watching journey. Yeah, me too. There as well. So while we were talking, I was almost like, I wonder if I should ask them if they want to like continue Han and Leia and Luke, or if they want to like. That's exactly Anakin. what you should ask them. You should yeah, ask them. Give them the option. I think I will. Because like, yeah. anyway, I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, I think that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked way too much about my nieces on this episode and I apologize. But also I'm really excited about them watching Star Wars. So this is where I would share it. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion of Princess, the Princess and the Scoundrel. We had such a fun time. Um, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, If you want to find us online to talk more about it or give your opinions on which trilogy I should do next with my nieces, uh, you can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher. Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, our TikTok, our Facebook page, our email, 
all great places to find us. You can search Sky Talkers Podcast and you'll find us on all of them. If you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you haven't, now would be a great opportunity to. Um, we would love it if you left us a review on either of those platforms or your own podcast platform of choice. It helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. I ship all things. Danny, Megan, Becky, James, Nick, Christina, Rachel, Jessica, Emma, Kara, DJ, Ali, Matthew, Olivia, Justin, Benjamin, Molly, Jose, Nina, Alexa, and Jedediah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.